How many sessions are there? Four bombs Suki's going to drop. Yes. All right. Uh, open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 4 if you have them, phones, tablets, or just look at the screen because I think we're going to put it up there. Acts 4.23, I'm going to read this from the uh, New King James Version. This is what it says. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined beforehand to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Precious Heavenly Father, I pray today that you'd speak to us by your word and spirit in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We're doing a study of the book of Acts at Living Hope. Uh, we're spending five months going all the way through the book of Acts. Uh, we just did uh, chapter 14 this morning. Uh, the reason we're looking at the book of Acts is because it's easy for us in the church of the last century to shape the church into our own image and our own likeness. Within any local church, there are a multitude of different values and value sets and value systems, and our values often our values and experiences often shape our perceptions of what the church should do and who the church should be. And oftentimes we find ourselves feeling that the church should be doing this or the church shouldn't be doing this or the church should sometimes do this and never do this. And, and we always have a sense of shouldness and oughtness, what the church ought to be doing and what the church should be doing. And we often have a sense that the church is doing what it should not be doing and not doing what it should be doing. We're studying the book of Acts because we want to look at the church of the first century to get a picture for what the church did and how the church functioned and what God did in the church and what the church did through the Lord in the first century because the church of the first century and the church of the last century are the same church. And if we are the same church as we were in the first century, then if we want to know what we should be doing, we need to go back to the original early church and see what it was that, that they did under the anointing and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, what we see the church doing is uh, it, we see the church doing things that uh, we might think the church should not do, and we see the church of the early, the early church uh, not doing things that we might th see the church doing. Uh, one of the things that I hear a lot is that the church should be feeding the hungry. The church should be feeding the hungry. The, the church should be feeding the poor. Uh, but if you look at the church in the book of Acts, they did not feed the poor outside of the church. They fed the poor inside of the church. And that's why so many poor outside of the church wanted to come inside of the church because they saw that the church took care of their own. Oftentimes in today, we take care of the poor outside of the church while people starve inside of the church. Uh, that, that tends to happen, you see. Uh, it's easy for us to feel that the church should be doing something about education or that the church should be doing something about the family or that uh, the church should be doing something about government or that 
The church should be doing something about uh, we should have the best technology and the best entertainment. Uh, but that none of those are the functions of the church. None of those are the purposes of the church. The, the church as an institution has a purpose or set of purposes that is distinct from any other institution. You see, the job to fix the family is the job of the family, and to fix the government is the job of the government, and to fix technology and entertainment is the job of technology and entertainment, and to fix the, jo- to fix the education system is the job of the education system. And Christians should be involved in all of these realms, absolutely. But it is not the identity of the church to be a primary solution to any of these things. The purposes of the church are, number one, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and number two, the demonstration of the resurrection power and glory of Jesus Christ. And these are the two things that only the church of Jesus Christ can do. And then the third thing is discipleship, which is the conforming of each individual into the image of Jesus Christ. So the whole being of the church revolves around the glory and gospel of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the likeness of Jesus. And if we would focus on those three things, that's what the church, that's what the early church focused on. And if we would focus on these three things, uh, we would see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the last century that is likened unto the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we saw in the first century. Now, the passage of scripture I read here is the second of three, well, really four major prayer meetings in the book of Acts Uh, And what we find in the book of Acts is that everything revolves around the prayer meeting. Every major change that happened for the church in the book of Acts that set the stage for what was to happen next came out of a prayer meeting. There was the Acts chapter 2 prayer meeting, which started in Acts chapter 1. Jesus, the first thing he told him to do after he ascended into heaven was go have a prayer meeting. And uh, how long is that prayer meeting to last, Lord? Until the Holy Spirit shows up. And then, well, how will we know when he comes? Oh, you'll know. (laughs) And so they went in a room and they prayed and he didn't come for 10 days. What if they would have left on the ninth day, right? They stayed all 10 days and the Holy Spirit came on the 10th day and boom, the whole, the early church was born. 3000 were added to the church that day and they devoted themselves to the apostles doctrine, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so this great revival, this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, it, it happened in Acts chapter two, but it was the fruit of a prayer meeting. And then this is the second one here in Acts chapter 4 that we're going to talk about in a second. The third one was in Acts chapter 13. Well, actually, Acts chapter 12 was the the third one when Peter was in prison and uh, the church was earnestly praying for his release. And guess what happened? God showed up and released him, but when he knocked at the door, they didn't believe it. Isn't it interesting? They wouldn't even let him in because they couldn't believe that it was really him. They're inside praying for him to be released. He's released, but they don't believe it. They keep praying. It's interesting that we can end up praying right through the answer of God. We're still praying for the things that God has already said yes to, and there's a couple things that God will never do. The first thing that he will never do is to do again that which he has already called done. And the second thing he will never do is that which he has delegated for you to do. So he will never do what he's delegated for you to do, and he will never do again that which he has already called done. And so some, there's believers that are repenting for sins that you've already been forgiven of, asking for deliverance for things that he's already u- delivered you from, asking for blessings that he's already given you, and instead of asking him to do it again, you need the faith to receive the fact that it's already done. Look at somebody and say, that one was for you. <laughs> mm. The third prayer meeting happened in Acts chapter 13. <clears throat> 
The third prayer meeting happened in Acts chapter 13 where there were some prophets and teachers gathered in, at the church in the city of Antioch. Now, this was a new thing. Uh, these Greek-speaking Christians who had been driven out of Jerusalem after the persecution of Stephen in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen was martyred, he was assassinated, basically stoned to death. This great persecution broke out against all of the Greek-speaking Christians in Jerusalem and they were driven out and they went everywhere preaching the gospel. But everywhere they went preaching the gospel, they followed the same pattern. Go to the synagogue and preach to the Jews and the proselytes and the God-fearers, which were the, the, the Gentiles who believed in the God of Israel but did not want to get circumcised. Uh, so everywhere you went in the Greco-Roman world, there were all three of those types of people in the synagogue. And so the, the practice, and this was Paul's strategy as well, when you go into a city, don't just go to the public square and start preaching to anybody. Go to the synagogue and preach Jesus as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And they would do that. And that's how churches were born in each city. But there was a couple, there was a few crazy Greek-speaking Christians that were driven out of Jerusalem. And they went to Antioch and they just started preaching to anybody. Like they were barbarians. They were gangsters. Like they didn't care. They were just... They were just thugs for Jesus. They were like, we're not afraid of nothing. We will talk to anybody in any place at any time about the Lord. And if you don't like it, too bad. And so they went and they started like street witnessing. And a whole bunch of folks came to Christ. Like, like that, hundreds of people came to Christ. And the church was born there in Antioch. And the church was growing. And word about it spread back to Jerusalem. And the apostles were like, is that okay? Like, is it okay to preach to non-Jews at that time the church was still so Jewish that the question could you be a Gentile and a Christian was not yet clear <laughs> you know what I mean now the question can you be a Jew and a Christian is not yet clear <laughs> you know what I mean like we've kind of flipped the script on that <laughs> you know um, but uh, they said we better check this out and see if there's something funny going on here so they sent Barnabas and Barnabas goes over there Bar Barnabas Barnabas son of encouragement is what his name means he goes out and he sees the grace of God and he, he strengthens the church there. And then he says, you know what? You guys need some more leadership here. And they're like, but this is all we got. He said, you know what? I got a guy. I know, I know somebody. I met him 14 years ago. He met the Lord on the road to Damascus. He was a Christian killer. His name is Saul, Saul of Tarsus, but we call him Paul. I'm going to go get him. So he goes down to Tarsus. He searches for Paul. He finds him. He says, hey, bro, how have you been doing? He goes, man, I'm struggling. He said, how have you been struggling? He said, the last 14 years, I've been preaching the gospel. I've got zero fruit, zero fruit in 14 years. Barnabas says, you just need to be in the right place. Remember, your destiny is governed by three laws, the law of experience, the law of relationship, and the law of place. There's just certain experiences you need to have. There's certain people that you need to know, and there's a certain place you need to be. Paul had the experiences he needed in Tarsus, but now law of relationship, Barnabas shows up, and now law of place, Barnabas takes him to Antioch, and now that Paul has come to Antioch, his destiny is set, and now the next chapter of his life is getting ready to open up. So Barnabas and Saul, they show up, and, and Barnabas says, hey, man, this is my homie Saul, and, and uh, you know, he's, he's awesome, he's tight, you need to let him preach, listen. So they let him preach, and, and Barnabas and Saul and the others, they called them prophets and teachers there. They're leading the church at Antioch, and there's a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and everything is awesome, right? But then they decide to have a prayer meeting because they came to a crossroads. They said, we know what we can do. We are prophets and teachers, but we don't know what we're supposed to do. We know that God has invested a whole bunch of gifts in this church, but we're not yet quite sure what we're supposed to do with them. And so they said, in the absence of clarity and understanding, we're going to fill that void with prayer. 
And so they decided to, to minister to the Lord and fast. And they went into this extended season of prayer and fasting and seeking the face of God. And in the middle of that prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, separate to me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. And they took Barnabas and Paul aside, laid their hands on them, fasted and prayed over them for several more days. And then it said they sent them out. Can you imagine showing up at the prayer meeting not intending to be a missionary? but becoming a missionary by the end of the prayer meeting and getting ordained at the end of that prayer meeting and sent out on the mission field the moment the prayer meeting's over. Like, can you imagine you just came to pray and you end up going to China? <laughs> you know, like you didn't anticipate that, right? That's what happened in this prayer meeting, but it was actually more than that. What actually happened in this prayer meeting is all of the missionary journeys of Paul were, were birthed in this one prayer meeting. Out of this prayer meeting came the church in Galatia and Ephesus and Colossae and Philippi and Corinth and Thessalonica and, and, and all of these churches were born out of that prayer meeting. We See, if, if we could understood how powerful the prayer meeting is, you know, they say if you want to know how popular the church is, go to their Sunday service. If you want to know how popular the pastor is, go to their midweek Bible study. But if you want to know how popular Jesus is, go to their prayer meeting. It was the prayer meeting. Everything hinged upon the power of the prayer meeting in the book of Acts. And so that was the fourth prayer meeting that launched Paul into his ministry, in its missionary journeys. And, and all 16 books of, of the Pauline corpus that we have in our New Testament were birthed out of that prayer meeting. Without that prayer meeting, we would not have the books of First and Second Corinthians, Romans, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy. All of those books, we would not have them, except had it had not been for that prayer meeting. So go to prayer meeting. That's the point. Uh, but here's the second prayer meeting in Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four actually marks a watershed in the life of the early church. Uh, the church is maturing. The church is growing up. There's a difference between... So first of all, what led to the prayer meeting of Acts chapter 4 is that Paul and... I'm sorry, Peter and John were headed to the temple uh, to pray and um, in Acts chapter 3. And as they're entering in the temple through the gate beautiful, there's a man who's lame from his mother's womb. He's been, he was born without the ability to walk. He's never walked in his life. He was asking for money. And Peter looks at him and says, look at us. And it said, the man looked at them expecting to receive something. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have give I unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And the man was completely healed, and he jumped up, and he walked, and he began to leap, and he began to run, and he began to dance. And, you know, Lonnie's over there shaking her head because she's got such a powerful gift of healing. A lot of people don't know that yet, but, you know, I actually, okay, I got to tell you this one testimony. I, I went on a nine-mile hike a couple years ago, right? Um, my wife tricked me into coming on this. <laughs> she said it wasn't long, but, and, and, you know, it took her two hours each way. It took me about four hours each way. And I thought she was going to be proud of me, like, yeah, you finished. No, she was irritated that it took me so long. So, Do you know how long we've been waiting? I'm like half dead, you know. <laughs> but um, after that hike, uh, the next day, my, my foot started to hurt. And I thought, oh, I must have, like, pulled a muscle. And a week later, my foot was hurting worse. It's like, oh, I must have really pulled a muscle. And within two weeks, it felt like somebody had taken a hatchet and just chopped the middle of my foot, like, like I thought I had broken the bone. 
And so I went to the doctor and I got all kinds of x-rays and everything done. It was about a month after and it was, it was hurting worse than it was the first day. And the doctor said, no, 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 no broken bones. No, no, I've got great news. No broken bones. You've just got arthritis. I said, arthritis? The devil is a liar. <laughs> and I said, but what's the treatment? He's like, oh, there's no treatment. You just got to take pain pills. I'm like, what? For the rest of my life? He's like, yeah. He, he just had this matter-of-fact look on his face. Yeah, just take pain pills for the rest of your life. That's all you got to do. You know, you know what I mean? You're just going to be, it's going to feel like somebody's chopped you in the foot for the rest of your life. Good luck with that. You know, have a good day. And, and, and I, was, I was like, I was, I was so upset about that. I'm like, man, this hurts. And then Ilani comes over my house. And Ilani's like, what's wrong with your foot? And I'm like hobbling around. I'm like, oh, I, I got arthritis. She goes, oh, yeah, let's pray, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know you got faith when you're excited about somebody's sickness <laughs> cancer did I hear you say cancer <laughs> yes <laughs> so, so she prays for my foot I felt no change in my foot but I felt the presence of God come and I said oh, oh my goodness I, I know that presence of God that's the healing presence of God. That's what it feels like when healing comes. I said, I'm healed. I'm healed. She's like, does it feel better? I'm like, no. <laughs> but I know what it feels like when God heals you. Like, I know what the healing presence of God feels like, and that was healing. And so the next day, I woke up, and it was like 20% better. I'm like, hey, look at that. Okay, that's what was working on me. And a couple days later, it was like 50% better. I was like, hey, look at that. Okay, all right, it's coming along. And then about a week later, uh, I, I, somebody asked me, how's your foot doing? And I realized I hadn't thought about it in a week. And the pain was completely gone. And that was like a couple years ago. And the pain has never returned. Isn't that crazy? So all, I'm just saying all that to say, like, if I'm ever in the hospital, please call Elani and send... <laughs> uh, what was I talking about? Acts 4. So Peter and John are going to the, the temple to pray, and they see this man lame from his mother's womb, and uh, he looks at them, and Peter says, uh, 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 silver and gold I do not have. Silver and gold have I none. I don't have any money. Actually, that wasn't true. Because every time Peter would preach, people would come throw money at his feet. He had a lot of money. They had so much money, they were distributing money to the people in the, poor who were, uh, in the church who were broke every day like that's how much money they had so much money being thrown people were selling properties and laying it at the feet of the apostles there was money translation silver and gold have I none for you <laughs> and silver and gold have I none for you because that ain't what God is trying to give you right now but what I have, possession, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And healing hits the man, and the man jumps up and begins to jump and, and scream and holler. And, and he, the first place he runs is into the temple. Why? Because the sick and infirm and afflicted were not allowed in the temple of the Lord. His sickness actually separated him from the presence of God. And when he got healed, the first place he wanted to run was to the temple to the presence of God 
And then a crowd gathers around, and they're looking at Peter like, wow, you guys are awesome. And Peter says, why are you looking at us as if by our own power or godliness this man is made whole? You've misinterpreted the miracle. You've interpreted the miracle to mean that we are awesome. That's not what the miracle means. The miracle means that God has glorified his son Jesus. Let me tell you why that's the case. Because the Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law thought they had killed him and ended his miracle ministry. And now his miracle ministry continues. This is the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If he's, not, if he's not alive, if he has not been raised from the dead, then why is healing still happening in his name? And now Peter and John get arrested for preaching this message, even though 5,000 are added to the church that day. Or, yeah, 5,000 that day, 3,000 in Acts 2. So between two chapters, there was 8,000 people added to the church. Pretty crazy, right? And now they're standing before the Sanhedrin. They're being threatened and they're being warned never to preach in the name of Jesus again. And now they go back to their companions, back to the church. They get to the church. Imagine, imagine Ryan and Suki got arrested for preaching the gospel. Was this the one where they even got flogged? Did they get beaten? I can't remember. I'm having a brain fart right now. But they, I don't know if they got beaten in this one, but they were definitely warned that if you preach in this name again, we're going to kill you. And they were like, will you tell us what's right to obey you or obey God? Translation, psh, run up. <laughs> I told you they were some thugs. So now they get let out, they get let out of jail. Imagine Ryan and Suki, they get let out of jail. They, they call a special ARC meeting, all ARC meeting. And everybody shows up here. And Ryan and Suki say, let me tell you what happened. We were over at the UC Berkeley campus, and there was a lame kid. And we raised him up, and he walked. And then a crowd gathered around, and we preached the gospel on campus. And then we got arrested. We went to jail. They led us into the court. And the judge told us, if you ever do that again, we're going to kill you. And we told the judge, Psh, run up. Here, here's, how that, here's how that meeting would have went if it was me. It would have been like, hey, church, I'm going out of town for a while. <laughs> Things are getting a little hot around here. <laughs> We're going to take some time off. Y'all need to go visit, you know, Living Water or something for, for a while. Because <laughs> we need, you know, we're going to take a rest. I'm going on sabbatical till things, you know, calm down for a while. <laughs> you know, that's what I would have said. No, it says when they heard this, the church. Now, it wasn't just Peter and John that were gangster. The whole church was gangster. Listen to this. When they heard this, they, the whole church, lifted up their voice, singular, to God with one accord. They lifted up their voice. Do, I know that you know the sound of your voice is, but do you know the sound of your voice? Do you know what it sounds like when all of you are in one accord, of one heart, and of one mind, of one purpose? They lifted up their voice. You know, when you hear the voice of a church, there's nothing like it. There's a sound that arises when a church lifts up its voice in one accord. And what's the prayer that they, pray, they prayed? 
They said, Lord, you are God, maker of heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why do the nations rage and the rulers imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you have anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate were gathered together with the Gentiles to do whatever you determined beforehand that they should do. Translation, Lord, this situation did not catch you off guard. That's the first thing they prayed in the moment of crisis. Lord, this situation has not caught you off guard. Lord, you saw this coming a long time ago. This is nothing new. Even though it's new to us, it's not new to you. Matter of fact, you wrote about it. It's in the book. And now listen to what they pray. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants a three-month sabbatical. <laughs> Behold their threats and grant to your servants boldness. Oh, snap. Grant to your servants boldness that we might proclaim your name by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders might be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In the face of crisis and of opposition, the church does two things. Number one, it unites. Number two, it prays. And number three, what it prays for is boldness and power in the face of opposition. Boldness and power. Not Boldness and see this is this is the thing. There's two things you need to understand about the early church. Number one, they were not afraid of controversy, at all. They had no fear of controversy. But number two, they did not engage in the wrong kind of controversy. They were very selective about the controversy that they were willing to create. And if you look at the kind of controversy that they very often created, as they were directed by the Spirit of the Lord to create it, never wantonly. Wantonly, I can't pronounce that word correctly. Thank you, Suki. I got the Suki nod. I said it right. The controversy that they created was always surrounding the power and lordship of Jesus Christ. That is, they were always willing to stand up and boldly proclaim the power and lordship of Jesus Christ and, and get this, this is, the, this is the crazy thing about it. They did so before people who knew Jesus before he was crucified but rejected him. They were bearing witness before people who had personally experienced the ministry of Jesus but yet personally rejected him. And they did not ask for safety. They did not ask God to hide us behind the shadow of your wings which is typically a prayer that we pray when we're afraid hide me behind the shadow of your wings <laughs> what it typically means is I don't like this conflict <laughs> take me out of conflict <laughs> they prayed for more trouble Lord it was a miracle that got us in trouble here now give us more miracles that's what they were praying. Why? Because they knew that the only hope of salvation for the lost was their witness to the resurrection and glory of Jesus Christ. 
And so they made a decision not to stop bearing witness to the resurrection and glory of Jesus Christ because if they stopped bearing witness to the resurrection and glory of Jesus Christ, there are people who would not ever come to know him as their Lord and Savior. Now what we see between the Acts chapter 2 prayer meeting and the Acts chapter 4 prayer meeting is that the church is maturing. The church is growing to a new place. Now, the ark is 13 years old now, and that means it's time for you to mature and grow to a new place. Uh, it's time specifically for you to learn a new kind of mathematics. Uh, what I mean by that is that when, 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 you're, when you're younger, you know, when you're in grade school, you learn arithmetic. Uh, but now you're getting to middle school, and you've got to learn algebra. And the difference between arithmetic and algebra is that arithmetic is a problem looking for an answer, but algebra is an answer looking for a problem. So in arithmetic, your 2 plus 2 is looking for 4, but in algebra, your x is looking for negative b plus or minus the square root of b squared minus 4ac divided by 2a. You see, in arithmetic, 2 plus 2 is the problem. In algebra, x is the answer. Now you tell me what the question is. Now this is the key. If you look at the Acts 2 prayer meeting, it was an arithmetic question. If you look at the Acts 4 prayer meeting, it was an algebra prayer meeting. The Acts 2 prayer meeting was a problem looking for an answer. The Acts 4 prayer meeting was an answer looking for a problem. Now let me explain that. In the Acts 2 prayer meeting, they were there because they were confused and they had no clue what to do. And so they came as a problem. Lord, tell us what to do. We don't know what to do. We need clarity. We need understanding. God, we're so discouraged. Would you encourage us? God, we're so confused. Would you help us? In Acts 2, the church itself was the problem. And they were looking for an answer from God. And God sent the answer in the form of the Holy Spirit. But in Acts 4, the church was the answer. They were not praying going, God, tell us what to do. They were saying, God, you have called us to be an answer in this world. And the answer is the gospel. And we've got the answer. We've got the power of the Spirit. We've got the gospel. Now, Lord, you make us that answer. Make us that answer in this city. Make us that answer from Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. God, make us an answer. And see, when, we, when we're young in our faith, we're a problem looking for an answer. We're, and especially when we're young as a church, we're a problem looking for an answer. We come to the Lord because I need something. I come to the Lord. And don't get me wrong, it's, it's, it's not wrong. You never get to the point where you don't need anything anymore. I'm not saying that you should grow up to a place where you never ask God for anything anymore because that's, that's just, number one, it's unreasonable. And number two, that would break God's heart. You know, I mean, as a father myself, if my daughter ever got too big to ask me for anything, that would break my heart. But the primary character of her life as a child is she comes to me going, Daddy, please, Daddy, can I have, Daddy, can I have, Daddy, please, Daddy, can I have, Daddy, can I have, Daddy, please, Daddy, please, Daddy, can I have, Daddy, can I have, Daddy, please, 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 Daddy, please. Last night she comes in, I'm on the phone, and she comes in, she bursts into my room, she goes, Daddy, do I have to take a shower tonight? Yes, you do. Now go take a shower right now. Daddy, please. Daddy, please. Daddy, please. Daddy, please. Daddy, please. Daddy, please. I don't want to take it. I'll take one tomorrow. I promise. I promise. Go take it right now. So she goes out. <laughs> slams the door. And then I go back to my phone call. Five minutes later, she says, Daddy, do I have to take a shower? Daddy, please. Daddy, please. Daddy, please. Go take a shower right now. She always comes to me because she's got a problem. 
and I am the answer. Now, when she gets older, that's going to be a little bit different. When she gets older and grows up, she's going to come to me to talk about her destiny and her future. She's going to come to me to talk about the impact that she wants to make on the world. She's going to come to me and say one day, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a teacher. Why do you want to be a teacher? Because I want to make a difference in the lives of others. That is, as we grow up naturally, we become an answer looking for a problem. But when we're children, we are a problem looking for an answer. The reason the Acts chapter 4 prayer meeting was so powerful was because because there was a church that gathered together in one accord to seek the face of God and the cry that came that came from that church was God make us an answer Lord make me an answer make me an answer instead of spending all my time praying about my needs see this is the thing they they thought they were just showing up to the prayer meeting but they didn't realize see when you're when you move from arithmetic to algebra your prayer meeting is not just for you anymore but all of a sudden the answer of God in that prayer meeting begins to affect regions and it begins to affect generations it be, you begin to have an impact on the world because God makes you an answer and when they had prayed the scripture says verse 31 and when they had prayed the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they weren't in California, so it wasn't just no earthquake. <laughs> I was at a conference this weekend. I was talking to a pastor from Florida, and he goes, have y'all ever experienced an earthquake? <laughs> we started cracking up laughing. I was like, I don't know. Have you ever seen an alligator? Because he's, <laughs> he's from Florida, you know what I mean? <laughs> he's like, you should come to Florida. I'm like, no, nah, I got a little girl. I'm not going to have no alligator taking my daughter out. <laughs> <laughs> and when they had prayed the place where they were assembled together was shaken you know the bible says heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool god had his foot on his footstool that day and as the church prayed god started rocking god was like uh that's what i'm talking about go and then god started tapping his foot on his footstool all right anyway if I, this <laughs> If this was, see, I forgot this wasn't a black church. If this was a black church, the organ would have started there. <laughs> the place would have went crazy. I would have doubled my offering with that one right there. <laughs> that one would have lit the place up. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the infilling of the Holy Spirit was ubiquitous. It was everyone. Why? Because the heart of prayer at the beginning of the prayer meeting was ubiquitous. It was because they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, he filled them with the Holy Spirit in one accord. You see, we typically start with division, but we want God to pour out his spirit on us with unity. And we don't realize we get out what we put in. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. I just want to encourage you tonight that the Ark is a powerful church and the reason the Ark is a powerful church is because there were a series of prayer meetings that have led you to where you are today. This church started with a 40-day prayer meeting. Just like the book of Acts, every major shift in the life of this church has come 
through a prayer meeting. But I sense that at this season, God is calling you to a unique time of prayer and to seek the face of God. And that as a body, if you would seek the face of God, there's coming a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a new shift in the atmosphere over this house that's going to redirect you towards your divine destiny as a house. You know, it's, 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 it's very common for churches to have a lot of people in the church that have ideas about where the church should go and what the church should do. What if we suspended all of that and just started with prayer? How about if we all agreed that the thing we should do is come together and pray and seek the face of God and let God set the agenda, let God speak, and let, let God call out the Barnabases and the Sauls that he's getting ready to send here and there. Let, let the Holy Spirit speak. How often have we seen the Holy Spirit speak in a prayer meeting and set somebody's destiny in the house? How often have you seen the Holy Spirit? You know what's crazy is that the church didn't even know Saul yet. Saul had barely shown up but already the holy spirit is telling the church this is who this guy is and this is how i'm going to use him do you know the holy spirit knows who you are and some of you are are like obscure figures in this house you're not known yet nobody knows who you are but there's gifts of the spirit on the inside of you that god wants to use you say well you know i hear people say it all the time well i don't know how to be used in this church and you know there's no space for me in this church go to the prayer meeting (laughs) there's a space for you at the prayer meeting Go and pray together as the church and let the Holy Spirit speak. But more than anything else, as you seek the face of God together, saying, Lord, make me an answer. He's going to make you an answer because this is a powerful house. This is a powerful church. God is only getting started with you. And your best days lie ahead. But you'll never forget that you were born out of a prayer meeting. And that everything that God does through you in the days to come will be birthed out of prayer. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I speak your blessing over this, your people. And I thank you, O God, for the power of your Holy Spirit that nudges our hearts and repositions them in a heavenward trajectory. Father, I pray for the ark that there would be a new movement of prayer that would sweep through this house and that the Holy Spirit would be the one who calls us to prayer and that the response would be great and that Lord out of this new movement of prayer Lord that you would set the course not only for this church but for individuals in this house whom you have called and whose destinies have yet to be made known Father, I speak blessing and encouragement in Jesus' precious, holy, mighty name. Amen.